good day, listeners. Welcome to this edition of the Pure Sex Radio program. We're so glad to have you with us. My name is Jonathan, and I've got a, uh, a friend and a, and a guest on the line all the way from the great country of Canada. We have, uh, we have Sean Bonito on the line with us. And so, Sean, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks, Jonathan. It's really great to be here all the way from stormy Halifax, Nova Scotia. Yeah. Well, I've said, you know, years ago, we had a guy that uh, came to our uh, men's workshop from Nova Scotia. And I said, man, if there's any way that we could get a workshop up there, it's such a gorgeous, <laughs> gorgeous part of the world. It is. Yeah. We moved here almost two years ago. And on the license plate, it says that it's Canada's ocean playground. So when we got that license plate, we realized that that was really true. There are lakes everywhere and you're 30 minutes from the ocean at every time. Yeah. Well, I really want our listeners to get to know you, to kind of uh, just hear your story and then um, kind of hear what you've been doing uh, with uh, a ministry called Secret yes. Habit and really trying to help men um, break free from kind of the, the secret habit of porn and other kinds of, um, you know, sexually sinful behaviors. So why don't you dive in and just kind of give us a little bit of your story and um, maybe some insights that you've learned along the way that you're using to try to help um, help others in this area. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so just for starters, it's myself and my wife. We work for an organization called Open Door Center, and we run the division Secret Habit. So it's been a huge blessing to be called into ministry with my wife, Helena, as well, who's giving birth uh, around February 20th coming up here. So we're going into a new season um, but that alone is a, is a benefit from freedom from pornography and masturbation. But yeah, I'd love to dive into my story. So for myself personally, I'm, I'm 28 and I saw porn at around 10 years old. And uh, looking at some of the things that Jay Stringer talks about in Unwanted, he talks a lot about it being an introduction. And when I look back at my story, I really think about one of my friends had really introduced me to pornography uh, in his dad's closet. It was his magazines. And looking back, I think some of the beliefs that I had was that it's meant to be done in secret. Um, wow, this is really exciting, but I can't tell anybody. And I just remember from a really young age there feeling the the grip of pornography right away. There was something inside of me that knew that it was wrong, but there was something else inside of me that said, I want more of this. And I think most people can kind of have that same feeling inside when they are introduced to it or see pornography. Um, but what I kind of wanted to do today, Jonathan, with my story is also wanted to weave in some of the negative or faulty core beliefs that came from uh, either situations or people in my life, because I believe that really was the foundation to me becoming an addict and really struggling with pornography all the way into my marriage and, and really wreaked a lot of havoc. So I've been working through a lot of faulty core beliefs and thoughts with my clients and thought that would be helpful. A lot of times people say, man, it's like you're reading my mail. But today I kind of want to have this feeling. I felt like God put it on my heart to say, I can actually read your thoughts because I've had them all. And I thought that would be really hopeful for everybody today. So, you know, looking back at my past, seeing porn at 10, it was this really weird season of my life because growing up, I actually had a really uh, loving father and mother, but it was almost like around age 10, there was this this chasm like my parents just kind of became emotionally distant at the time where I needed them most and it was really a time where my mom left the church um, 
my dad stopped giving me hugs and it was almost like I was not delighted in anymore. I wasn't pursued anymore. I remember growing up around those times. It's almost as if our family became a family that kind of poked fun at each other in terms of humor. And I just remember feeling like my dad was a really cool friend for say, but he wasn't a father. And I really lacked a lot of leadership growing up. So I remember some of the beliefs coming from that is I'm not wanted. I'm not seen. I'm not loved unless I do something well. Nobody cares about me, so I have to fend for myself. I can't even trust my own family. How could I trust others? And I really had this foundation of, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm all alone. And I remember just being isolated all the time as a young boy. Video games, pornography. I remember just longing for my parents to even ask me, how was your day, Sean? How are you? You know, you look sad. How, how are you feeling? And I just longed for that. So kind of, you know, looking back at my family system, there definitely was a lot of dysfunction and it didn't seem like that on the surface. So it's definitely taken me time to unpack that. And if I look back as well with my father as an example, I actually saw him uh, when I was around probably 13 years old watching pornography. So, you know, I'm this young kid. I saw pornography. I obviously quickly started looking for things on Google. I was such a naive young guy. I remember looking on Google or actually AOL at the time and I typed in P-O-R-U-N. It was porn. I didn't even know how, how to spell it. I was so innocent. And that's the scary part about young kids seeing porn nowadays or even Instagram or whatever else is they're so innocent and they're just looking for education. And, and Jay talks about in Unwanted that where families and faith communities won't educate, pornography will. So, you know, my dad watching pornography, I see him. Um, that for me was just this affirmation that porn must be something that's good. Like my dad's doing it, must be nothing wrong with it. This man that was supposed to influence me watching pornography really helped me in that addiction for say, not helped me in a good way, but it helped me con confirm that porn must be good if men like this in my life watch it. And then this was at like two in the morning, my dad's watching porn by himself. So it also made me believe that, wow, porn must be something that has to be kept secret. And that's really where this idea of secret habit comes from. But growing up, you know, I really struggled a lot. Um, first of all, I didn't have a faith. I didn't know Jesus. So my mom was a Catholic growing up, comes from a very rigid home. My dad wanted nothing to do with it. So there was always this weird tension of faith in our family. And I think that for me was really troubling to see this, this, my, my mom being so devoted and then my dad being so against it. And I'm just longing for my dad to know me, see me. So there was a lot of dynamics in and around that that I've had to work through as well. But growing up again, I had a lot of acne, self-image issues. I think, you know, when we look at the addiction in my life, it was really rooted in not feeling like I could even be seen. A lot of shame. And that was really sad for me. I remember having acne problems compounded on this addiction. And not only was I internally feeling shame, but then I externally felt like if someone looks at me, they are going to think I'm so ugly. And I remember feeling like I'm so ugly. I'm so pathetic. No one could ever love me. And this is a young 14-year-old boy thinking these thoughts with really no mom or dad to talk to about them. So I just remember always feeling really heartbroken uh, really scared if a girl got near me because I just didn't want them to see my acne. I just always felt there was this, ah, this angst inside of me that I'm, I'm a nice guy. I haven't done anything wrong, but why does everything in life seem to not be working out for me? Um, I was an athlete, so I used sports as an, a as an outlet. Um, I was also a drummer, which is so interesting because looking back now, um, 
I really hid behind the things that I used as outlets. I wore a helmet when I played lacrosse. I hid behind the drum set when I played music. And it's so fascinating to look back and see that where everything I did as what we would call self-care or passions or purpose, um, yeah, I enjoyed them, but I think I actually did them more as a, as an outlet for my anger. So I didn't, you know, beat someone up at school. And I was just a really angry young kid then that didn't feel attuned to by my family. Um, so, so moving forward, some of the other things that had happened was just major rejection, you know, being a porn addict. I think what had happened for me is I had this, this lack of confidence that if someone did know me, they're going to find out the, the secret habit, this deep, dark truth. And I remember this one situation really laying my heart on the line with this one girl in high school. I really liked her. I wanted her to know how much I liked her. And I got rejected. And that was compounding on all these other beliefs from my family system. And really what happened from that was that I just believe that I, I can't share my true self with anyone. I'm just an unlucky person. Nothing ever works out for me. I'm going to have to work 10 times harder just to make sure my life works out kind and kind of good. And it was just really uh, almost like this euphoria over the last, actually the last year that I've been working through some of those deeper things, Jonathan. But this is really the story of, I think, a lot of young men nowadays that we don't usually talk about. I think, you know, one of my clients is a, was a high-level hockey player. And it's like, we it's easy to look at his career and say, wow, man, that guy did big things. But behind the scenes, it was all kind of obligation, a lot of pain, a lot of forcing from his family. So I did, I never felt that forcing for say, but I felt a complete disengagement. Um, fast forwarding even again, still, sorry, John, are you gonna say something? Well, let me, let me just, let yeah. me pause right there to, to talk uh -huh. about something that you just mentioned, um, talking about how this is, this is such a, a common reality for a lot of yeah. young boys. Um, can you, can you talk about that specifically from the framework of how we maybe uh, don't really know how to help young boys navigate those emotions mm -hmm. that are part of like, you know, you were talking about the family dynamics of being in a family where something mm -hmm. shifted around 10 or 12 mm -hmm. years old, where the kinds of affection and touch that was going on and, and then what, what those kind of emotions felt like yeah. for you. Can you speak a little bit about that and maybe help um, maybe men out there who are looking back at their own histories and going, I'm, I'm understanding what you're talking about. I don't know necessarily what to do yeah. with that. Or, or maybe they've got sons now and they're saying, okay, I've got a nine-year-old yeah. boy. How do I do that? Because it does feel like there should be some kind of transition. Yeah. I mean, do I still, you know, grab my 15-year-old son and pull him in for a hug and a kiss when that feels mm. kind of awkward and weird? Can you speak absolutely, to that? Absolutely, yeah. There's something that Adam Young from the podcast with The Place We Find Ourselves that absolutely struck me recently. And he said, every child has this innate desire to run to their parents when something's wrong. And that might be when they're young. That might be to run to them for a hug and a kiss. But as they grow up, that might be to run to them for just comfort of, a, of, a, of an ear to listen and an and affirmation that everything's okay. And Adam says that, when did you stop running to your parents because you didn't believe that they would attend to your needs? And that just rocked me. I think I heard that a few months ago. It just absolutely floored me that it's almost this idea of when did it become pointless to run to those that you think should be there for you. So taking that mm -hmm. from, you know, taking from what Adam said, I think, you know, as even, even, as, you know, I'm going to be a parent soon. And I just think there's this place of 
leading like young boys want to be led like i remember being a young boy i just so longed for my dad to to teach me things to teach me how to be a man to teach me how to love women to teach me how to do an oil change like i just longed for my dad to teach me things but he really just wanted to have fun with me which you know once you grow older you know 12 13 you 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 don't need a, a best friend you need a father and a leader and that's something that i i still long for if i look back on my story it's still something that's in my heart and i'm so grateful to have a heavenly perfect father but there's always a sense of me that longs for my earthly dad to be more of a leader in my life and if i could just speak to fathers in general our, our kids need us to be leaders and and if we look at the character of christ of what a man is it is so much more than just being what we call strong and don't you think also like that idea of talking i love what you mentioned about adam there and, and saying that you know when did you stop running to your to your parents um that also has implications in our relationship with God, doesn't it? Absolutely. Um, so if I if I don't feel safe to run to my parents and God says he's a father, that's a difficult transition to make. In other words, I think we can't be trite and simplistic in our Christianity when we're trying to invite people into this life-changing relationship with their heavenly father, when in reality, their only experience with a father has been one of discord and disconnection and I don't want to run to that person. Yeah. So help us help us understand what were some of the things that started to cuz cuz you mentioned about how you you mm -hmm. didn't know Jesus as a young boy. So can you carry the story yeah. forward and help us understand mm. when did that relationship with Christ come yeah, about? Yeah, absolutely. You're so bang on Jonathan and 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 it came into my life at a really you know, God has a sense of humor kind of timing. Um, I was actually in the secular business world for quite a number of years, really chasing money because I thought that if I could make a lot of money and be successful, then all of the other junk in my life would kind of just, you know, even keel, even out. And what a lie that was. And it was amidst this um, seeking of success and money that I, a few of my mentors in business were Christians. And I was dating a girl at the time. And we were fighting all the time about things that I didn't see them fighting about. And I remember one time my mentor looked at me and said, Sean, like, man, you got to figure out your faith walk. There's just something in there that is off. And, and, I, and I like to accept a challenge. So, you know, I put on my suit and tie, you know, eight weeks in a row, start church hopping. You want to prove them wrong. And man, on that eighth week, you know, there's a longer story to it. But God met me in this church I went to. Um, sitting in a church of 800 people with a suit and a tie on, hiding as far back as I can. And it's the, it's a sermon on the church of Thyatira, sexual immorality. And for the first time ever, I heard somebody say, you can be free from pornography and, and Jesus is the answer. And that just rocked me because A, I'd never heard anybody say you can be free and B, I'd never heard anybody talk about Jesus in a way that wasn't this rule book and this, you know, this, iron fist and it just blew me away so that was really a focal point for me and then another part of the story for me jonathan it was quite a bit later that this happened but one of the things i help my clients with really in, in our first session is that we are pretty much like the criminal on the cross that only gets talked about maybe once a year on good friday where jesus is on the cross being crucified but there's this character beside him this quote-unquote criminal on the cross which you know he's done horrible things he's a criminal that's his name the criminal on the cross and he just says that he just confesses and professes that you are the son of god like remember me when you 
get to heaven. And Jesus doesn't ask him a thousand questions. He doesn't judge him for what he's done. He just says, my, my, my son, you will be with me in paradise. And I just love that story because when I really allowed that story to permeate my heart, it just blew my mind that the Lord is not this puppeteer. He's not, he's not expecting me to be this perfect person. And, and I'm talking to the man, you're the grace-based recovery go-to guy. So I love actually sharing this story alongside your book as well. But that's, those are the two stories that really come to my heart when you ask a question like that. So when you, when you came to Christ, it sounded like a lot of things started to converge in the sense of, okay, there's, there's a recognition that, yeah, you've, you're entangled in pornography you see the hope that Christ can offer. Talk to us about what did then that um, transition look like? What did that process then look like? Um, because I think a lot of people, Christians included, want to have this idea of, hey, can you tell me what the formula is for like just, you know, just being able to snap my fingers and kind of just all this stuff magically just disappears or changes? Can you share with us what your process looked like and then maybe talk a little bit about the reality of it being a process? Yeah. And that it's not just a singular moment in time that everything is going to be different. <laughs> Absolutely. One of my one of my mentors, I know he's a friend of yours, he, he told me uh, that the road of recovery is a road of discovery. And that's why it's a lifelong journey, also called sanctification. Sometimes we forget that that word sanctification is, is this personal growth story that God is writing in our life, that we are writing with him. But my story, I just want to say that it is going to be unique. There's things that, man, I wish I did differently that I now help my clients do better. Uh, I look back and I just, wow. God was so gracious because I was, man, I did not do that well. Uh, but some of the things that I did, Jonathan, like I think the biggest thing, I think it's a famous quote, is like step one is getting out of denial. And I remember uh, at this church, a couple weeks after that sermon, there was a lady sharing her testimony from Celebrate Recovery about sexual addiction. And I just was so floored by this lady sharing her story in front of 800 people about sexual addiction. I had never even conceived the idea that someone would ever do that. So for me, that was wild. I just felt, wow, that looks like, uh, seems like a place that I could talk about my stuff. So I actually got out of denial with going to celebrate recovery. That was the first step for me of just saying, I have a problem. I don't know if that's where I'm going to get all the healing or, or am I going to fix it, but that's a place where at least I can go and it seems like I can share my stuff. So I was able to do that. So that was the first step. Um, the second step for me, which... I wish it was done very differently, but it was actually telling my wife. Uh, if I could go back, I wish we could do a, a really good full disclosure with a therapist or a mentor or a counselor. But unfortunately, it came uh, the morning after my first relapse into marriage. Uh, I had kind of white knuckled it two months into marriage and uh, woke up basically crying, shivering, shaking, terrified. And I knew I couldn't withhold telling her anymore. So that was the second step for me was really telling my wife, uh, not that it was in the best fashion, but it allowed me to break the silence. And I think that was huge. And one of the quotes that my wife and I love, I think it's from Richard Rohr, but it says that um, where intimacy or so where secrets are present, intimacy is absent. And it's just like, wow, I didn't do it well, but I did allow for the, the darkness to come out. Um, a big thing for me, Jonathan, and this is something that my wife and I really helped clients with was journaling. I actually... Uh, was amazed at how journaling for me, uh, not even really having an idea of how to do it that well, but just a place for me to write down 
all the anger and all the resentment and all the pain, naming the things, releasing the things. Like I was getting out. I remember having one journal probably this thick and there was a lot of F-bombs in there. And I just think, man, as Christians, sometimes we forget that there's things deep down that they need to come out. We don't need to be politically correct on our own little journal. So that for me was huge. It allowed me to really see where my negative faulty core beliefs were. It helped me see where the tendencies were of where I get angry, where I get lonely, where I get this, where I get that. And man, that was a huge game changer for me. Um, the next step, which you know a lot of people call rock bottom, was me getting sick and tired of being sick and tired. That was for me absolutely huge. And I, and I try to tell people all the time that I hope and pray you don't have to get to that rock bottom. Everybody's rock bottom looks different. But for me, it was my 25th birthday. I did not want to go into another year of my life hating myself, looking at my wife and lying to her, being a hypocrite to my, my God and the people at my church. I just was so sick and tired of being sick and tired. So I really made a decision based off why I wanted to quit. This idea that Jay Stringer talks about freedom for something. I wasn't just quitting porn anymore. I, something in my heart shifted and I was now doing it for something. And I remember getting on my knees that day and just saying, God, I've done so many practical things, accountability and journaling and all this stuff, but I've never put you first. And I've never actually gone up when I normally get angry. I would just go in and that would lead me to relapse. But I started saying, God, I want you to be my steering wheel, not my spare tire. And I love that that idea of God being the director, the, the everything to me, the engine to the car. But I treated him like a spare tire for so long. Oh, God, I'm just going to come to you when I need you. Yeah, so let's talk about when did things start to turn to where uh, you're doing what you're yeah. doing now? Like, how did that come about? It's You know, it's uh, you know, I like to tell people all the time when I share my own story um, that that our stories are descriptive, not mm -hmm. necessarily prescriptive. So, you know, because sometimes when people hear a story of somebody that, hey, OK, come from this background of addiction and brokenness and and then there's recovery and redemption and now there's mm -hmm. ministry. A lot of times when that looks like a formal process, like now there's a formal position of ministry, a lot of people go, mm. I don't want to do that. <laughs> or or they think they think it's a prescription like, well, you know, now that you're in recovery, the yeah. next step is you have to now become a, uh, you know, a formalized <laughs> minister totally. in this area. But can you but obviously that's that's what is part of your yeah. story. Can you share with us? How did that yeah. come about, that it wasn't just about personal recovery? Yeah. Now you were going to be doing something yeah. vocationally to try to help other people. Yeah, it's a story I love to tell because I had tried a lot of different things in what I wanted to do. To be frank, to be totally honest and frank, Jonathan, I'd rather be in the NHL. Like I just always tell people there's things that I want, but God created me for a specific purpose. And there's nothing more fulfilling than doing the work of Secret Habit. And that's what I love about it. So kind of going to the very beginning, uh, like I said, I had decided to quit pornography on my 25th birthday. Uh, I had been sober for about three months. And within those three months, man, Helena and I started having an incredible change in our marriage. We started like laughing again, looking at each other with love. We started having sex that was not just physical. Like things actually started changing within three months. And we, j I just looked at her and we kind of looked at each other. I'm like, this is so good. Like no one's ever painted this picture. And really what came from that, Jonathan, is we saw a lot of things on the market from at least what we were hearing in the Christian world of quit porn, don't do this, bounce your eyes, it's bad. But no one was talking about this incredible life you can have even just three months after quitting. So I just felt this absolute undeniable calling that I need to start sharing my story. And 
that was really how it started. I started making YouTube videos before I went to work in the morning. I started blogging. My wife made me a free website that was seanbonito.com. So it didn't start with anything glamorous. It just started with God saying, my son, I want you to do this and, and don't have any expectations. You're not going to make money from it. You just go do this and I will show you how it's going to turn out. And it was phenomenal. You know, three, four, five months later, people are watching our videos and reading our blogs. I had a couple of guys from the US reach out for mentoring, which for me blew me away. Uh, my wife wanted to come on board because of her own healing with betrayal trauma. So Secret Habit was kind of birthed out of that introductory, just answering God's call with no expectations. And then from there, uh, we started Secret Habit. It was just free resources. Again, making videos, Han and I would just help people when, when they asked. Um, but everything changed when my wife came home one day and said, Sean, I really feel like we should move to Nova Scotia. We we're living around Vancouver at the time. Nova Scotia is not on my radar, that's for sure. And she just was so convicted. And I knew, because she moved from the Czech Republic five years ago to Canada, and we met on our first day in Canada. So I know that when God calls her somewhere, it, there's a good track record. And I was really scared. So she comes home that day and just says, I'm going to pray because I really feel like God's calling us out there. And I just feel like he's going to convict you as well. Like what a bold woman. I love her. And, and that, you know, sign after sign after sign, literally seeing t-shirts of Nova Scotia and all these crazy things. A couple months later, I just said, wow, it's very obvious that God's calling us out there. And the only thing that we could sense him saying is that I want you to do secret habit full time. And we had no idea how that would work. We had no idea what it would look like, but we decided to pack three suitcases and drive across Canada with this hope that God was going to do something big because he spoke to us and we just were crazy enough to say, hey, we don't have anything here. Everything we have here, we built on our own. So that was really the beginning of Secret Habit was God calling us in different times, different maturity. And when we got to Nova Scotia, we wanted to launch it actually launched it as a for-profit business and it did not work at all. And that was God just saying, hey, be more patient. You didn't listen to me. And we ended up then having a really divine appointment with the CEO of the organization we work for now called Open Door Center. And that's where she had kind of said this idea of, wow, God's been really putting it on my heart for about a year now that we would help people with pornography addiction. They help with unplanned pregnancies and sex trafficking. So it really fits seamlessly. And Helen and I were like, God called us here. We don't really know what it looks like, but we would love to be mentored and helped by somebody with a bigger organization. So for us, it was a no-brainer. So that's kind of how we got to doing the work we do today, Jonathan. It was humble beginnings. It was just listening to the Lord, um, you know, telling people that I help with porn addiction was actually so exciting when we started Secret Habit because I knew it was from God. It wasn't just this fleshy thing. Uh, I get excited talking about it because I just... I've tried so many things and nothing fulfilled, even if it made me more money or if it was, I was better at it or if it was really cool sounding. So we just know secret habit is the Lord's and for him to provide the way he's provided because we're donor funded, man, it has been nothing but answered prayers. So today uh, we obviously have uh, in one year seen things that we didn't really think could happen in one year with client testimonies, restored marriages, man, it's just been so, so cool. So just, that's just kind of a snapshot of what it's been like, Jonathan. Mm -hmm. Well, Sean, thanks for sharing your story and for responding to God's call. Um, we are, we're about out of time now, but I would love for you to be able to just, um, 
you know, share just any any kind of word of encouragement that you might have to the guys out there that are wherever they may be on this, you know, journey um, of moving from sexual brokenness to wholeness in Christ. And then any any uh, where that you would like to point people for for more resources or help. Um, please yeah, do so. For sure. Well, I think my encouragement would be that you're not alone. Like, I hope that my story can be encouraging to you. I hope that you hear other people's stories and realize that there is so much hope for you. There are amazing resources that have come out. One of them that we take people through. One of them is Grace Based Recovery from Jonathan, but one of them is Unwanted by Jay Stringer. And I love the way that Jay frames that our story is a roadmap to God, that he says our lust and our anger and our anxiety and all of these things, they're just telling us something that our heart is actually longing for good things, but the world, perversion, um, resignation, they have stolen what is good and made it bad. So my hope for you is that your story becomes a light in a dark place, that you see your story as a beacon of hope because it's going to tell you things. And I would love to be able to help you, anybody through that. Um, I think I just want to end on that, that, you know, our services with an, because we're a nonprofit are, are actually free of charge, which I think helps so many people, uh, especially with COVID going on. So that's really how we work. And I want to offer that to anybody listening that maybe can't afford uh, a service or maybe just connects with me. We do have our services free of charge. Uh, we do ask people if they would want to partner with us so that we continue to offer these services for free to those who need it. But for those who cannot afford, we actually are able to do that, which is amazing. So if you need help, I absolutely know the feeling of needing help, and I would encourage you to reach out. You can go to our contact page uh, at secrethabit.ca, and you can fill that out, and, and, and someone will get back in touch with you and set up an appointment, and then we can have our first session and really see the best path for you while working with Secret Habit. And then the second thing is if you want to help, maybe you're listening to this and you've had freedom, maybe you're listening to this and you, and you love the work that we're doing, God's just kind of put it on your heart. We're able to offer these services for free because of the generosity of other people. So being completely donor funded, we always love to invite people into being partners with us so we can grow in God's call. We feel like this is a very special calling that God has given us. So if that's something that you feel like you'd like to support, you can go to secrethabit.ca slash donate. And from there, you can set up a special gift, a monthly donation. We have Canadian and U.S. tax receipts as well. So that's just really on my heart. We love to be able to help anybody and being able to be a nonprofit. It's allowed us to help people that can't afford services. And we offer in-person in Halifax and virtual all over the world. So that's that's my heart, Jonathan. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Sean, for being on the program with us. And uh, and listeners, we'll be able to we'll put all that stuff in our show notes so that you can get in touch with with Sean and uh, and seek out some of their resources. But uh, listeners, we're always glad that you're with us, and we do look forward to seeing you back here again next time on the Pure Sex Radio program. Take care. Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.